journey towards dedication to you. I pray, God, that by the Holy Spirit, you would touch each heart even now. Give them a glimpse of their tomorrow. Don't let them get trapped by the failures of their past or the tricks of their present. The future is bright as we walk in your light, walk in obedience to your call, and we put you first, that we would truly seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else would be added unto us. That's your promise. We believe it. Bless your people, I pray. I ask that you move with signs and wonders. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Go ahead and take your chairs. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a very diverse church. A lot of different people from different parts of the world lived there. Merchants would come in and out. And he he was looking at, at, at everybody because they brought their cultures, their subcultures, their way of life, their way of doing things, the way they think. And they were all trying to bring it into the church. So God, saw, uh, God is ministering to them through the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this letter, and he says there in verse 6, Do you not know that you're the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Let's stop there. Think about that. You know, we read it, uh, um, but that's a heavy statement to think about that Paul is saying that the Spirit of God is in you. Wow. Just, 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 just you know, marinating that. He said, don't you know this? Because what was happening, their actions weren't adding up to this reality. And then verse 17, check this out. He goes, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Then he says, which temple are you? What a question. So the implication is he's talking to a group group of people and some have holy temples. And some will just say for the sake of having a division, not so holy temples. Right? And I found in ministry, you know, church, church is people. How many know that church is people? People are the church. This is a building, but the building is not the church. You're the church, right? Now, the enemy will will attack the church by using the very people the church is trying to help. It's ironic. You're you're doing your work, you know. And so, throughout Scripture, the Bible describes people that are being brought in, you know. And he, he calls them, you know, Paul is very descriptive, and Jesus is even more descriptive. He said, some people are weeds. You know, they receive a lot of application, a lot of knowledge, rather, and, but they don't apply what they learn. Some are dogs, barking at anything they feel that is not of God. Who let the dogs out? Right? Others are wolves, justifying beliefs, and they draw people towards their beliefs. Not really set on doing God's plan. They just want to be right in everything they think. And at the same time prove everybody else wrong. As if anybody in their right mind can claim that they know everything and is right about everything with God. 
What a statement, right? So even though we know this will happen, we still have to work with people, right? You just got to work with people. You can't let that cause fear. You can't let that discourage you. That's a reality. Well, and if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, we all probably fell in one of those categories, or if all of them, at one time or another, a weed, a dog, a wolf, right? But we're going to have to work with people. There was this one young lady, she loved her job, and she couldn't wait to go to work. She just loved it. Then a certain reporter asked, he asked her, why do you love your, your job so much? And she worked at a funeral, uh, at a funeral home as a mortician. She goes, why do you love your job so much? And she says, oh, because I love working with people. People, uh, they're a lot easier when they ain't talking back to you, right? See, people are easy if they're dead. You can, you can talk about their mama, talk about their daddy. They can't say nothing. They're dead. Uh, but unfortunately or fortunately, we're alive. We're not going to agree with you all the time. We're not going to like everything you like. We're going to tell you to be quiet when we feel like it. You're going to tell me to be quiet. You know, we have this ability just to talk back. Hello, someone. We're alive. So working with people takes patience. Can somebody say amen? Oh, boy, it takes patience. So, but you are the church. Look to your neighbor and say, you're the church. And you are why we exist. Without you, there is no church. Without all those people that may perhaps bring trouble, but they also bring goodness. There's not just bad things about people. There's a goodness in people. You're here. Why? Because there's an inherent goodness inside of you that wants to be the lead. But there's also that other you, you know what I'm talking about, that sometimes leads you astray. Hello. So we deal with so many different types of Christians. So my question to you is just like Paul's question to the church there. He says, what type of church are you? If you're the church, then what type of church are you? So I, I've broken it down into six distinct churches. Some people, I, I call them the carnal church. Now, again, I'm going to say some things. I don't want you to get mad at me. I'll pick you back up later. But some people, you know, they just walk in the flesh. I mean, if you ever look at them in the spirit, it looked like a, just a big old giant ribeye. Oh, okay, here comes brother ribeye. He's just a piece of carne all the time. He's in the flesh. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3 reads, Brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal. Again, he's talking to the Corinthians. As to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you're not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where, where there are envy, strife, and division... Among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? See, now, we just ask ourselves, right? They says, it, 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 Paul qualifies it. We'll know if we're carnal. If there's strife, envy, or division. That's the qualification for the carnal church. And he says it like this. He goes, you're behaving like mere men. The implication is we shouldn't behave like mere men because we're, we're called to be more than mere men. We're called to be more than conquerors. We're called to be victors. But he goes, you guys are behaving like mere men. Now, what do mere men act like? 
Well, psychologists have come up with a term for mere men, men, mankind. And if you were able to boil mere men to one word, it would be self-indulgent. Most believers are mere men. They're not consumed by God and what he wants. They're consumed by what they desire. And that's just the way we're made up. Right? See, mere men cannot handle solid food. They can't handle it. See, that's why it's like feeding a, a, a baby. Why do you think we have to feed babies milk? Well, the first obvious reason, they have no teeth. Right, give, give, a, give a steak to a, a kid, a little baby. What are they going to do with it? They can't do, look at it. They can't do nothing with it. But more importantly than that, something interesting, the digestive system of a child cannot handle solid food. Solid food will give a baby diarrhea. Did you know that? You can't feed because they're, they're, they're little tummies. Well, see, spiritually, if you're not ready for solid food, you may have digestive problems. And I've seen it. Because you, so, this is what happens. People get into things. They want to they know all about God. And okay, fine. But here's the thing. Once you know about it, you're supposed to do something with it. The problem is some people, Americans, this, our culture wants to know so much about God, and, and then they don't do it. They develop what I call spiritual digestive problems, or more importantly, diarrhea of the mouth. They, they say things that they've heard and, and thought, but they've never really practiced it. They're just talking. I call that diarrhea of the mouth. Hmm? See, Christians, we have to be a people who are obedient to what we learn. Solid food means you take it in, you eat it, and you use it. But if you don't, then you be, are in danger of becoming a carnal church. See, if you're not a carnal church, some people are, are compromising church. And that's what Paul was addressing this church here. See, putting your, desire, your desires before God's desires means you're going to have to compromise. Because I want to let you know something. God doesn't desire what you desire. In fact, the Bible says God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. So there's the conflict right there. So if we want to walk with God and stay with him, then we're going to have to move away our desires and begin to put his first. Now here's the big million dollar question. Who knows God's desires? That's when the spiritual babies begin to create their own understanding of scripture and have what? Diary of the mouth. They say things they don't even know what they're talking about. Why? Because they consume, they got a lot of knowledge, but they really want to do their thing. So they begin to create their own self-indulging theologies. Behaving like mere men. See, compromising, compromising. In 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon loved the Lord. And he was walking in the statues of his father David. Except that he, sac he sacrificed and burnt incense at high places. That's in other words, he, he loved the Lord and he followed David's Plans and what David had taught him to King David, but he did some other things on the side Because you know, he was a smart guy. The Bible said he was one of the wisest men in the world, right? King Solomon surpassed all kings of the earth in riches and wisdom the Bible says Solomon had great wisdom. He ate a lot of what? solid food But his wisdom is what set him up for compromise 
He thought he could help God out. It's almost like when Sarah tried to help God out with Abraham. You know, Sarah couldn't have a baby, right? He goes, man, I can't have a baby. So she's smart. She wanted a baby. So what she, what she do? She got Hagar. I know. I'm a, she was so smart. I'm going to get another girl and have that girl have, have a baby with, with my husband. Now, you know, that's kind of, what woman would do that? Somebody really smart? So smart they became dumb. Ladies, would you do that? Shoot, you said some, some, some chick try to come around your man, you're going to stab him in the chest. You know what I mean? Hey, get off me. You ain't going to let that happen, right? Wisdom will make you do things you never thought you would do before because you're so smart. She was so smart, right? So his position, King Solomon was so smart, gave him a feeling of being above accountability. He was the king. He was the head staff. He was, the, he was in charge. He can do anything because he knew things. Or he thought. Right? And then it says in 1 Kings eleven six, 6, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. Man, this was the wisest man to live. That's a trip. When I read that, I go, oh, man, that puts me, I'm in trouble. Because I don't claim to be as wise as Solomon. And that's the wisest man to live. And it says the wisest man to live did not fully follow the Lord. Hmm? So I don't want, I'm always careful for little compromises. I don't play around with that. I, I don't. I, I, I'm, I think the biggest lesson I learned, see, um, I dropped the pin earlier, and then he picked it up, and it, then it reminded me of the story, of my pin story. I have a pin story. I just got saved. And, you know, before you're saved, you're, you're, you're shucking and jiving, while me, you know, conniving, doing things to make a little extra cash. Come on, don't leave me hanging. Just me? You know how we did it. We, 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 you know how we would sneak a little bit here, sneak a little bit there. You know how we did it, right? Well, I got saved, and I was brand new saved. And I used to fix office equipment. I would travel from office to office all over town, right? So I went to the, this one office, big, beautiful office, right? And I go in there, and I fill out the paperwork, and I didn't have a pin. So I asked the secretary, can I borrow your pin? And I, I go, ooh, nice pin, huh? So I signed it. Unintentionally, unintentionally, after I signed it, what do you do when you sign your pin? Unintentionally, I went. Now, I wasn't thinking. It was by habit, right? It's almost like, you know, being at Lowe's and, and getting an item and putting it away, not knowing, right? Well, that was an inside joke. Anyway, <laughs> unintentionally, right, I'm driving away. And I probably got about 15 miles away. And then I, I touch it, I go, I pull out, I go, oh, wow. Man, I took that lady's pin. Man, I had brand new saved. But I really, I know that pin was a test, because I remember to this day. I go, oh, man, I took her pin. I stopped my truck, turned around, drove all the way back, you know, went back to her, I knocked on the door, and she goes, oh, we didn't call you back, the, the, the copier's fine. I go, no, no, I mistakenly took your pin. And I came to give it back. She goes, oh, that piece of junk? You didn't have to turn it back. You could have just kept that piece of junk. I didn't want it. I go, no, I know you may not want it, but this is more than just a piece of junk. This was me not compromising. And I gave her the pin. See, God will test you in a lot of unique areas to see if you're a compromising church or not a compromising church. Mine was a pin. 
What type of church are you? Then you have the controlling church. You know, people that are bound by rule, the law. Ah, right? A difficult area for newcomers and immature Christians in a certain church are rules. You know, you, you always hear, oh, I don't want that, that church. You can't do nothing, man. You, they want you this. And they've got all these rules. And they've got all these regulations, man. They just could try to control my life. You ever hear that? You probably said that. <laughs> and, and so you, it's a, there's a danger if you're, you're like that. Because you can't control anybody. Huh? You can't. People have to do what they want to do. All we can do, it's like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like a coach. I'm, I'm on the sideline. And I used to play baseball. I was pretty good. I, used to, I love playing basketball. My favorite sport is basketball. High school, I was a quarterback in high school, right? So I'm into that. And so I'm like, but you know what, right now, if I tried to it, my mind would say, you can do it. And when I make a move, my body would say, what's wrong with you, boy? Don't you know you're an old fogey? You can't be doing that no more, right? So, and that, 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 that's how I am kind of right now. I see people coming up, learning, going through little journeys in their life. And, and I, oh, I, you know, it's like baseball. I, I took an aligned shot, boom, took him off. So I know how to hit a three-pointer, boom, I know how to pass, I know how to slip a play. But I'm, now I'm kind of like, this is what you should do. I'm telling you how to, how to play the game. Coach. But I can't get in there and play it for you. This is your life. I can't control your life. Even if I wanted to, probably wouldn't want to control your life. You're on your own, dude. I always say, everybody's got to make their own bones. But I can coach you. I've been doing this 33 years and never left the Lord. That, that, there's something to that. Because I know a lot of people, oh, I've been in the Lord 33 years. How many times you backslide? 12. Wow, 12 times? You know, I, I, you know they, they, they think they count that. I've been in the Lord. You ain't been in the Lord, bro. Yeah, I think you just started last, last week. Right? But I've been here 33 years. And I learned a few things that, that have kept me from leaving God. But I can't control you. I can only coach so we don't want to be controlling. It's like a husband who's jealous. Ladies, hope I'm not talking to you if you're married. But you know a husband who's jealous. Where you been? What, you got off work at 3.50. It is now 3.48 and 13 seconds. What did you do with those other 13 seconds? Well, I, just, I, I went and got a Slurpee. Who, who ordered you to get a Slurpee? What flavor did you get? I mean, you get, I, I've met some guys that are controlling. I go, wow, this guy's a trip, right? And then they think the woman should stay with them. Ladies, if that's your husband, split. <laughs> I mean, do something. Call the popo because you're in trouble. No, that's not right. Controlling. You can't control a person's life. You can coach them, and you should love them into wanting to do what you want. And that's how the church should be. We should love people into doing what they should do, not try to control them. And make them do something. You can't control people. What type of church are you? Controlling church? Hello? Now, those are the bad ones. Let me talk about the good ones. Can I talk about the good ones? They have some people, I call them the committed church. This is the type of church I pray we all can become. It's because... Because church members, it's been said this, church members are like automobiles. Did you know that? You ever drive a car? 
you'll know that something's going wrong. Why? Because the car will start missing. You know what I mean? It'll start, something happened. Once the car starts missing, you know it's going to quit. Well, that's how church members are. Once they start missing, ah, they're going to quit. See, commitment, what I call commitment, commitment is a purifying agent, right? So we say, Victor Outreach, are you with me? Victor Outreach, we want you committed. Right there, that's a purifying agent because people say, wait, wait, commitment? What do you mean committed? I ain't committed. What are you talking about? I got things to do. I'm a businessman. I got places to go. I got things to do. I got people to see. And you want me to commit to what? Let me see if I can put you on my schedule. All of a sudden, we begin to see something. And what happened? Commitment is a purifying agent. Because not everybody wants to be purified or committed, which will lead me to ultimately, not everybody wants to be dedicated. Right? Amen? I'm looking at everybody really quiet out there. Yes, commitment means a willingness. This is a good one. Commitment means a willingness to be unhappy for a while. That is like a great, great definition. What do I say? I'm going to tell you how I, uh, the people who relate to this are really good. Now, if you're single, you won't get this one. But if you're married and you're committed <laughs> and you're going to stay in that marriage because you're committed, that means you are willing to be unhappy for a little while. Because there'll be times when you're going to look at your spouse, Ugh. and there'll be other times when your spouse is going to look at you, Ugh. but because you're committed, you said, no, you said, I do, I'm committed, I till death do we part. Now, that doesn't mean till death you part that you get to kill him. No, no, no. But you're committed. That means commitment really is a willingness to be unhappy for a little while. Now, listen, in Christ, there are going to be times where you're going to have to be unhappy for a little while. It's not always uh, peaches and cream. And you think, well, we didn't invite you to Disneyland. This is a victory outreach. You want Disneyland? There ain't no Mickey Mouse here. Donald Duck. Nuh-uh. You have to, sometimes, sometimes Christianity is going to just bring you down. But you're committed. Those, those are the realities of life. A little rain is needed in everybody's life. Because without a rain, maybe some thunder every now and then, you'd become a desert. You need rain. You need that, that, that torrential pour every now and then. Why? Because it, it softens your soil. It allows the good stuff in you to grow. Oh, if you think you're going to be happy all the time, let me know where that church is at. Well, that's probably the church of giving you some Prozac. I don't know what that is. That is, huh? There ain't no church like that. Prozac. You should say mescaline or something like that. Ain't no such thing. Bob Pierce once said this. The vast body of people in the world today have never given, have been given, rather, let me say it again. The vast body of people in the world today have never been given enough information to know if they accept or reject Jesus. Most people think what the gospel needs is more clever, skilled people, when what it needs is more people who are willing to bleed, suffer, and die in a passion to see people 
come to Christ. Commitment. It's all committed until you don't get your way. Then you have the compassionate church. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus went out and he came and he saw a great multitude. And he was moved, he said, with compassion for them. And he says, because they're like sheep not having a shepherd. And he sees all these people lost. And what is the first thing he does? He began to teach them. He said, the Bible said he began to teach them many things. Because knowledge, you need to understand. And so he goes, the only way I can help these people is begin to teach them. In fact, that's where I get my model. Jesus was a coach. He never forced them to do anything. He was a coach. He was teaching them. So he began to teach them many things. Why? Because he hurt for them. So they'd ask him a question. He goes, this is what you do. Be careful. He asked him another question. Oh, you should be like this. Be Watch out for that. He said, oh, good master. How should I get saved? Well, you need to do this. You need to do that. Did everybody respond to him? No. Did Jesus get mad at him? No. He just told them they had to make a choice. But he was moved with compassion. See, compassion stirs your commitment into action. People say, I'm committed. Okay, where's your action? If you have no action, you may be committed, but there's no compassion. Don't you hurt for people? Don't you care? That if you do something and it will affect other people, doesn't that bother you? Because some people say, oh, I don't care, it's too bad. Okay. But we should have a, a, a compassion for people and be so committed that we understand what I do today will affect somebody tomorrow. Do we know who? We don't know who. I don't know who. God does. But the fact is there is somebody who will be affected by your actions. But compassion keeps us committed. So are you a compassionate church? So I believe in reaching the lost no matter the cost. We talk about that all the time. We want to reach the lost no matter the cost. People say, yeah, pastor, we want to reach the lost no matter the cost. Okay, we're going to pick up a pledge. Huh? What? What do you mean a pledge? Well, we'll reach the lost no matter the cost. Wait a minute, you didn't tell them it's going to cost that much. What's your commitment? Where's your compassion? Right? See, you're a faithful church, or rather you're a faithful church because some newcomer may be watching you. Why? You're compassionate. You're committed. Because really, if you've been here a while and you're new, people are watching us. Right? They're watching. Oh, hey, okay, watching. Because, you know, they, when they come in, they don't know you. You could be anybody, but they, oh, they go, ooh, wow, we come to Victor Arch. All these people are, are men and women of God. Right? You walk in with that, that feeling, right? Until they get to know you. Oh, man, don't let me down. I thought you were a man of God. You're just, you're just a flesh monster. You're a carnal church. See, you get to determine who you are by your testimony, by how you act. Right? See, a church that is controlling. Well, let me back up here. Let's look at the results of the first three. First, the, a church that is controlling, compromising and carnal breeds rebellion, right? Because inconsistency breeds rebellion. And you'll have people always rebelling and disobeying, going to do their own thing. Why? Because there's, there's carnality rising. That's one of the most important things. I'm going to tell you right now. Here's some meat. If you're a baby, close your mouth. Close your mouth. You don't want to hear this, right? But the number one thing, if you're going to make it and not backslide, is you've got to be obedient, but well, what if I don't agree? Well, it doesn't say agree. It says be obedient. See, when you're disobedient, 
then you, you set up a road, and nobody can, can, can fix this road but you. You set up a road for you. That road is destruction. Disobedience is a mean thing. It's, almost, it's, it's worse than gravity. Like if I, you went on the top of that roof right now and jumped off because you determined in your mind, because you know things, you're smart, you determine in your mind that you have the ability to fly. You're so smart, you go, I done studied the wind, right? And I know there's a, there's a lift from the wings, and I just studied the time, because I'm just that kind of smart, I know the time. And you got on that roof, and you jumped up, because you studied, and you know there's something that's going to get you. It's called gravity. And you're going to come down. It's the same thing with the obedience, the same thing. People learn the Bible, hear all kinds of stuff, and God is personal. God says, I want you to do something. Something's happening. Be obedient. But they say, well, no. This is where the justification, the compromise comes in. No, 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 no. The carnal, no, I want to do this. All these other things come in, and then you think you can jump off the roof and fly. There's, there's gravity. That's why this meat called obedience is very important. When God and the Holy Spirit is telling you something, better do it. Especially when you're under leadership. Now, leadership is different than church membership because God, will, God called Moses. I looked at the story of Moses. Remember Moses? He was there leading the people of Israel. You guys seen the cartoon, right? They didn't show this part because that was the children's version. But in the adult version, he's leading the people out. And it says that 70 leaders rebelled against Moses. So who's Moses? He don't know what he's talking about. No, 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 no. And they begin to rise up. The Bible says that God caused the earth to shake and open up and swallow them. That's heavy. I read that, whoa, why? Because that guy wanted to be a disobedient. We'd have like potholes everywhere. People would walk around, boom, gone, what happened? Oh, disobeyed. There'd be too many holes. Huh? <laughs> yes, that's what happens. See, but a church that is committed let me say it again. A church that is committed. Okay, thank you. Let me say it again. A church that is committed. A church that's compassionate. Huh? And a church that's challenged is dedicated. Huh? Because we have to be challenged. See, a challenging church examines your determination. Are you challenging your walk with God? See, and that's like strange to many believers. They didn't, they don't, most people don't come to church to be challenged. They come to church to feel better. And also that can happen, but that's not God's intent. Jesus didn't come to earth to make you feel better. He, he came and gave you a challenge. He challenged you. He said, go into all the world. Now think about that. What a challenge. Go into all the world. Now, that's just not just the pastor, the leadership. That's a challenge. See, and that's why we're always talking about international stuff. We're always talking about going wide because we understand that we're a challenged church. We're a challenging church. Not only are we committed, but we're a challenging church. We will always be that way. Why? Because my pastor challenged me. Pastor Sonny challenges me. Nikki challenges me. Nikki called me the other day. I want to talk to you. Uh Uh-oh. He goes, so when are you going to pass 300? He even told me that. I go, oh, man, I'm working on it, Nikki. You need to hurry up because we're going to do a, a, a conference at the end of the year, and we need to fill that church and, pass, and have your church grow past 300. That's a challenge. Yes. 
I get back, I say, yeah, okay, how are we going to do this? Man, we got to do this. Huh? So I need people to understand that. I don't need people pulling back. I need people coming forward. You need to examine your determination because you, you must have tenacity. You got to take back what the devil stole. Don't jump back in the devil's sack. Hmm? The challenging church, it'll question your dedication. Are you loyal and devoted to the cause? A challenging church will certify you your discipline. Well, you, I pray, I, I read, you do all that? Well, the challenge will certify whether you're reading the right stuff or not. You can prepare for a marathon. But if I give you a mountain bike, what good is that going to do? Because you prepared for the wrong things. You got to prepare for the right things. Victory Outreach will train and prepare you for duty. Oh, I like that. Let me say it again in case you didn't hear me. I said Victory Outreach will train and prepare you for duty. That's what we're called to do. To train you and prepare you. Everything. You got to understand, if you get around me, everything I do, everything I talk about, I'm not just going out to have a taco with you. That's a waste of time. I could do that at my house. When I go out with you, I am using that opportunity to prepare you and train you for duty. That's it. That's all I I live for. I breathe the vision. I've been infected by Pastor Sonny. He got me sick. I mean, I'm just, I breathe the vision. You get next to me, you're going to get it. (coughs) <coughs> I'm going to cough on you. That's right. I'm going to give it to you. Otherwise, don't get mad at me because I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm doing all I can to infect you. I want to infect you with the vision. We have a great vision. We have a great calling. See, a challenging church will pressure your attitude. Because you can, you can act good for a little while, but how's your attitude after you've been challenged for a while? I'm a man. Ooh, I've been, like I said, I've been doing this 33 years. Sometimes I get tired of the challenge. You know, you get tired. Like, oh, man, I'm tired of this, man. Whew. And I go through those periods, but I shake it off. Huh? I kick off the dust. I go, no, devil, you ain't going to let me. Uh-uh. I got to get back in the gym. Start running. Start hitting the heavy. Back, boom. I got to get ready. I'm, I'm getting ready. I got, I got to do it all by myself. I can't wait for my, my wife. Well, honey, don't you, you need to challenge yourself. No, I don't, I don't wait for my wife. I don't wait for no one. I got a thing going on with me and the Holy Ghost. And when it's time to challenge, I get on my giddy-up. See, you have to learn that. You can't say, well, I, I got other things, you know, my job. And I love jobs. Great. We all need a job. All my family. Okay, I love families too. But listen, we're talking about God. We're talking about God's call. We're talking about reaching the world for Jesus. We are not going to reach the world for Jesus with pansies like that. We're not. We're not. We need people dedicated. Dedicated to the cause of Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm not asking much. That's what God asked for. God said his only son. Isn't that the least we could do? See, maybe, like I tell, maybe my life was just a little bit more messed up than yours. You know? But I am grateful for what God did in my life. I don't just say I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm eternal grateful. I, I shouldn't have a, a wife. I shouldn't have a son. I shouldn't have none of that because I know how my mind was thinking and where I was heading, and it was heading nowhere fast. But God came and delivered me and set me free. And listen, my friend, I will do this till I die. Because why? Because I'm committed. I've consecrated myself. I'm dedicated. 
That's what I, that, that, and that's what I'm trying to develop, and that's hard. Because people get next to me, and they think I'm crazy. And I tell them, you think I'm crazy now? You should have seen me before I knew Jesus. I was crazy then. I was crazy. I know I'm in my right mind right now. You just don't know. You think I'm in my right mind. You think I'm crazy? You didn't want to know me before. I thank God that my wife never met me before. She met me like at the end. You know, I was like tired already. I was like, oh, I'm tired. I was all beat up in the world. Staggering. Man, I need help. I need help. I, I came to mind, you know, I, I got to go out there and, and, I, and, either, and kill somebody so that to have somebody kill me because this is it. I'm done. That's, I'm already thinking like that. I'm done. And then all of a sudden, a bright star came in. Changed everything. Debbie. I go, who's this girl? You know, messing me up. I did. I told her that. I go, you know, and then she was so nice. I said, you know what? You, you got to get away from me. I told her three times. You don't know me. I'm all messed up. You're a good girl. You need a, you need a split. I told her that. She told me, I ain't going nowhere. Dang. That's heavy. So we stood there and I told her again, you need a split. She goes, I ain't going nowhere. In fact, she even said, I'm having your baby. I go, you ain't having my baby. <laughs> I go, no. I go, you need a split. I'm not a good guy. You understand, I am not. I know who I am. And I kept warning her, you're a good person. What are you doing with me? That's how messed up I was. And then God came in. God, God used her and her family to pray for me. Her family's are pastors. Her uncle's a pastor, right? The relatives are pastors. Her cousin is best friend with Nikki Cruz, right? They're, they're friends. They, they were praying for, they're probably praying for her, but I got it by like, by, by osmosis. <laughs> well, because God did that, I'm grateful. Yes. And I had to put a lot of stuff aside. I, had, I, I forsake my family, I forsake my mom, my dad, I forsake everyone. Why? Because I had a mission and I knew God was going to take care of me somehow. And listen, he has. My family follows me. My mom got saved, my dad got saved. They follow me. Why? Because I put him first. I put him first. That's the kind of tenacity we have. That's the kind of church we need. A dedicated church. Dedicated to the cause of Jesus Christ. Can you tell I'm excited? The church has life and gives life. As I close. What type of church are you? 1 Corinthians 3.16 reads like this. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? See, Paul's remark, do you not know? See, the question implies his surprise that the people of God could not know something so evident in a converted life. See, Paul was converted. I understand Paul. On the Damascus Road, Paul was fighting Jesus all the way. In fact, he hated Jesus so much he was imprisoning Christians, 
having them killed. Paul understood what it meant to put somebody, somebody in jail and in chains for the gospel's sake. And on the Damascus road, Jesus says, Paul, Paul, why are you fighting me? Isn't it difficult to kick the cactus? Then God knocked him off his high horse. So when God got, when Paul got up, he said, you know what? God delivered me, man. I was on the wrong road, thinking I knew what God was about. Paul was a lawyer. Huh? He was educated in the University of Jerusalem, sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees from the tribe of Benjamin. This was a bad motor scooter. He understood, so he thought the things of God. It's wise. But he didn't know God. Oh, he knew a lot about, a lot about him, but didn't know. See, God had to take him through some sufferings, some things, so that he could get to know him. We all need that, to be committed to it. Right? See, Paul was well aware that many people in this church, the Corinthian church, were acting like babies. Because I'm feeding you milk. You guys can't even teach. Man, do I still have to rebuke you? You're not listening. You're arguing. You're, you're compromising. You're carnal. You want to do it your own way. Paul had a mess in his hand. He goes, don't you know that God will condemn you, destroy you? Wives with envy, strife, and division, and division around there. Hmm? So there can't be. Oh, we go through periods, but we grow up. Amen? We grow up. Paul says, when I was a child, I thought I was a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So we all have to grow in our walk with Jesus. Hmm? So do you not know? Do you not know that you, every one of you, are the temple of God? I want every head bowed and every eye closed. You know what? I just want Anthony here. Let's leave the musicians, just music. Maybe um, Jasmine, just one. Because I'm going to make an altar call of dedication. That's what I said, right? It could be different. It's a dedication service. Now, this is not an I'm perfect service. Otherwise, we all need to leave. This is in your heart of hearts that you want to dedicate yourself to God. The assumption there is that you already know who God is. He's your Savior. Great. But when you talk about dedication, He becomes your Lord and Master. Many people stop at Savior. Dedication means, no, He's my Lord. 
my master. I move when I'm instructed to move. I only go when I'm told to go. Why? Because I'm under orders from on high. I'm dedicated to this cause. So we're going to just do a worship song. And what I want is those who want to be prayed for, I want you to start right here to my left, to your right. And you're going to walk, and all I'm going to do is anoint you with oil. And when you're anointed, you can just go ahead and stand in. But I'm, that's all I'm going to do. Because we need to be dedicated. And I'm going to start with me first. Because I don't want to be a castaway. <laughs> you think I want to blow it? I'm just like you. I can make a mistake, man. I can make a wrong decision in 33 years to go down the drain. I'm terrified of that. So, so I want to stay dedicated. Right? Go ahead, Jasmine, sing a song. 